would to Judges chapter 16. We're getting back into Judges today. So we're going to pick up where we left off with this, in the story of Samson. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 3 today. Um, while you're finding your place there, uh, I titled the sermon The Beginning of the End uh, because things are going from this point through the rest of chapter 16 and the rest of the account of Samson. This, things are going to go downhill rapidly from here. Uh, but I want you to notice something about the account um, we have about Samson's life, which started in chapter 13. Most of Samson's fighting and killing of the Philistines, because uh, we've seen a lot of that, but I want you to notice that most of that, the fighting and the killing of the Philistines, was provoked by the Philistines. Um, he, in chapter 14 is where we start seeing him. Chapter 13 is about his um, conception and birth and stuff. But in chapter 14, he kills 30 Philistines because the attendants at his wedding cheated him in the riddle. You remember that? Um, the next incident was where he burned their crops because his father-in-law, who was a Philistine, gave his wife to another man. Then he killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey because they tried to subdue him so that they could kill him. And then in today's text, they're again going to make plans to try to catch him and kill him. And so I want you to see that the fighting and the killing of the Philistines is something that they have provoked him to do. But I also want you to see that every single time that Samson finds himself in a bad situation, finds himself in trouble, finds himself in a situation that is just going to bring heartache in his life, those things are initiated by his sinful choices. He first finds his wife, who's a Philistine, because he went hanging out in the Philistine city of Timnah. And you'll remember, God told his people, not that they couldn't go to the cities of the surrounding nations, but he told them to be separate. They were, they were to be a holy nation, which was to be set apart and separate from the world. And Samson, as we've seen, as we go through his story, we've seen he's got this infatuation with the Philistines. And I'm, I don't know why, but so he goes and he hangs out with the people in the city of Timnah and he sees this woman that he just cannot, he cannot resist having her for his wife. And so, so that's the first situation he finds himself in. Our text today finds him hanging out in a city another Philistine city, the city of Gaza. And then as we get into the rest of, the, of chapter 16 and the end of his story, we're going to see in the next couple of weeks, he's going to be hanging around in another part of the Philistine country, and that's where he's going to run into this woman named Delilah. So I want, James 4-7 comes to my mind when I think of Samson. Um, it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And I, I think the best way to resist the devil is to stay away from the things that he can use to tempt you. If you know there are things that are hard for you to resist, don't go near it. Don't hang around it. 
don't play with fire if you don't want to be burned. But Samson never learns this lesson. And so we get into what is the beginning part of this rapid decline to the end. Um, and it starts in our text today. So if you have Judges 16 open and you're able to stand, would you please stand to honor God as we read his word? All right. One day, Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, at dawn, we will kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate, together with the two posts, and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Let's pray. Father, we, as we look at this text, um, we just pray, Lord, that uh, you would continue to open our hearts and our minds to understand the truth that you've given us and the reason you've given us this account. Um, you have preserved your word through the years and the generations um, so that we would have a record of it. And, and so every word in this book is important. So help us to see how this text today impacts us and impacts your world. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. All right, so your first point in your sermon notes is Samson's weakness on display. Samson's weakness on display. Chapter 16 opens in a way that kind of sets the scene as God is about to bring his confrontation with the Philistines into its final stage. You remember God, uh, the writer of Judges tells us that God was looking for an opportunity to confront the Philistines, and that's about to happen. So God is almost ready to exact his judgment. So the atmosphere, you can just tell things as you, as you read through the account that things are on the verge of climax. The Jews are concerned that this new norm that they've become not only comfortable with as subjects to the Philistines, but also to the point where they almost appreciate it, uh, they're, they're quite upset with Samson because Samson's upsetting that norm. The Philistines are on edge, and they are completely consumed with this man, Samson. And Samson, well, he just continues to do whatever he wants because Samson is a guy who is concerned about Samson alone. In the first part of chapter 16, we see the two extremes of his life. Um, displayed in, in um, this, these first three verses here. Uh, a display of his incredible physical strength is seen when he takes the city gates um, and their posts that secure it to the city wall, and he tears them right out of the ground, and then he carries them to the top of the hill outside the city. Now, I don't know if we'll ever know, like, how heavy that would have been, and as I've read and tried to figure this out, scholars are kind of all over the place on it. Um, 
so there's a there's a wide spectrum of what people think could have been a typical weight for the doors of a city gate at the time. Um, but just to make a conservative guess, I'm going to go with the low end of what I heard. Okay, so just keep in mind, some scholars think they could have been heavier than this, but the low end of what I saw was two tons. So we're talking 4,000 pounds. And he, when the Holy Spirit comes upon him, he has the kind of strength that can rip that right out of the ground and carry it up to the to the top of a hill outside the city. So we see this display of his incredible physical strength, but of equal intensity, his incredible weakness and his lust for women is on display in this text as well as he engages with a prostitute. Now, I personally, I don't think Samson's greatest weakness is women. I think his greatest weakness is his disregard for the Lord and his commands. But the consequences of that disregard for the Lord was that he had zero restraint on his lust for women, and for some reason, foreign women. And out of the foreign women that surrounded Israel, specifically Philistine women. So when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and, and here's, why I, here's why I say his greatest weakness was his disregard for the Lord and not necessarily his lust. That was a byproduct of it. Because when he's filled with the Holy Spirit, his mind is not on women. His mind is focused on the thing he's supposed to be doing, accomplishing the task for which he, the Spirit is filling him. Um, when the Spirit came upon him, he was the strongest man to ever walk the earth. And I'm not just talking physically, I mean emotionally, spiritually, and mentally as well. But when the Spirit was not upon him and he was left to his own desires, his own sinful desires, his will made him one of the weakest men to ever walk the earth. And so you have this paradox in him. He is, he is physically the strongest man to ever, to, to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to claim to ever walk the earth because I don't know anybody who can lift 4,000 pounds and carry it up the hill. Um, but at the same time, he is one of the weakest men ever with no restraints on his lust. One commentator said it this way, when Samson is not saving Israel, he is being Israel. When Samson is not saving Israel, He's being Israel. Um, his disregard for the Lord and his commands is a representation of the nation of Israel as a whole. And so the people, they betray their covenant with the Lord constantly. We've seen that all throughout Judges. We saw it even before Judges, and we see it after Judges. So we saw it in the desert after God delivered them from Egypt. We're seeing it now. We're going to see it all throughout the Old Testament history as God reaches out to his people through prophets. And they continue to break that covenant. And the wonderful thing is that God continues to be faithful. God never breaks that covenant. He never breaks his promise. He never goes back on his word. Even though they continue to commit adultery against him. And if you and I are honest with ourselves... 
both Samson and the nation of Israel are oftentimes too often a picture of our own lives as well. Um, so if we've committed our lives to Christ as Lord and Savior, then we have entered into covenant with him as well. And yet, how many times do we regard God, or sorry, disregard God and what he has commanded us to do? How many times do we compromise our walk with Christ because we look more like the culture we live in rather than standing up against that culture that practices things that are abominations in God's sight? <coughs> Excuse me. Go back to, I'm going to go back to James, James chapter 4. We, I mentioned it in the intro. James chapter 4 has got a lot of really rich theological stuff. And here James says, If anyone then knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. If anyone knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So how many times do we know the good we ought to do, but we don't? I know personally I do it far too often. My <clears throat> um, son is part of a, gr a, a small group that is going through a book. They just started it today. I saw it on the table this week. It's called Respectable Sins by a guy named Jerry Bridges. And the book is about how we categorize sins as really bad sins and sins that really aren't that bad. So they're, these are they're more subtle, they're more easily overlooked. So because we're not committing the really bad sins, you know, and we, and we categorize things like murder or theft or, you know, things like that, we're not committing those. So we often don't even see the things in our life these, these, that people might, that this book refers to as respectable sins, like pride and jealousy or greed. We might not see those things, bitterness, that kind of stuff, because all we're focused on is the fact that we don't do the really bad things, you know. I don't do drugs, so I'm good. We put blinders on our eyes like you'd put on a horse. And we have very narrow vision, and that narrow vision really, a lot of times we, we just focus in on the one thing that we want to focus in on our lives that might be going well, and we ignore all of the other junk that might be in our lives. And we need someone in our life who will point out those respectable sins that we have ignored. And so we are often much like Samson and the nation of Israel. All right, so that's point number one, Samson's weakness on display. Point number two is Samson's strength on display. So the plan to ambush Samson was to take place at the city gate. The city gate, uh, the gate of an ancient city, was usually the only way in and out of a city, so you had usually the main road. If it had more than one main road, they might have more than one gate, but most cities just had one gate, so that was the way to get in and out of the city, because the city was surrounded by a wall, so you had to go through the opening, which was at the gate, at the city gate, 
was the door that closed off the city. And that door and the city gate had lots of purposes. So the city gate was a place to gather and to talk about um, religion or politics or philosophy. <clears throat> so if you, uh, I mean, if you were a teacher, then you might sit down and with your students and teach them uh, about religion. If you were a politician, you might debate politics there. If you were a philosopher, you might try to gain followers for your philosophy there. So it was a place where people gathered and probably people who thought they were more intelligent than what they really were, sharing all their ideas, and everybody needs to hear my point of view, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, usually there were rooms that uh, you'd have the city wall and, the, and the, the door, but once you get inside the door, most of them were, had, had rooms off to the side. The road ran through the middle, but they had rooms off to the side, and those rooms were where you would gather. Um, you might do business there. So the, the city gate became kind of like the town hall of what we would talk, the, the things that, like how we would picture it today in American towns, be like the town hall where all of the, all of the stuff, all of the, the heartbeat of the city was happening there. Um, but also in that little area with the rooms would be space for if you, if the city was under attack, you could, you could move your troops in there and because the technology wasn't as advanced as it would be today, they couldn't just easily tear holes through the city walls. Some, some of those city walls were like, you know, feet deep. And, and so the easiest way would be to go through the gate. Well, if you concentrate all your troops there, then you can defend the city against an attacking army. You might remember Matthew chapter 16, you might remember after Peter, after Peter confessed to Jesus, when Jesus said, who do you say we are? And he said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Um, Jesus said, to P said some things to Peter. One of the things he said was, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. On this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And I've told you before, the church is not, uh, is not supposed to be on the defensive against Satan's attacks. It's not that Satan is attacking us, and we're just trying to do everything we can to not get hit by the arrows. Jesus is talking about the church being on the offensive and attacking the city gates um, and so that would be the place where the people who lived there defended itself. And so Jesus says, I, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. They will not, the gates of hell will not be able to, to hold you out, will not be able to keep you from destroying it. And so Jesus is talking about the church being the one who's attacking the gates of hell and not allowing Satan to have, to, to gain ground as he is trying to wreak havoc in the earth. And so 
that was another purpose of the city gate. It was you would move your troops in there and you would defend the city. Finally, the door itself could be closed to keep anyone out that they didn't want inside. So you might have you might have a group of pe small group of people that are coming through, and if you don't trust them or whatever, you can close the city gates or the doors. But you could also close the doors to keep people inside, such as prisoners that you might be keeping, which I think is probably what is happening here in the city of Gaza as they're trying to keep Samson from escaping. So the people of Gaza are gonna, they're gonna hang out in the city gate, in that space near the doors, and they're gonna attack and kill Samson when he tried to leave the, the next morning, because remember, that would be the only way out of the city. Samson actually gets up in the middle of the night and foils their plans. Um, so I imagine since it's the middle of the night that the Philistines were probably sleeping, and he's able to not only slip through their ambush attempts, but he's he he tear, he takes the doors that are you know driven into the ground and, and sunk low enough to have s some stability and fastened somehow to the city wall. He takes the doors and the posts that are holding them in place, and he tears them completely out of the ground. He hoists them up to his shoulders like he's carrying bag, a sack of potatoes or something like that. And, you know, no big deal, just 4,000 pounds on his back. And he carries them up a hill outside the city. And I just talked about how that was a demonstration of his physical strength and power when God equips him with the Holy Spirit to do something supernatural. But I want what I want to see, and we're going to move into our third point with this, is that there's something much deeper here that, um, that I want you to notice. We see his weakness. We see his strength. There is this battle going on inside him. And God is using him and all of this stuff to paint a picture for us. And so point number three is God's greater plan on display. God's greater plan on display. display. There are there are two people in the Old Testament, as, as I've read through, um, you might think of others, but there are two that stand out in my mind whose life circumstances are very similar to the life of Jesus. And I've already mentioned to you that in this sermon series that the situation that Samson, so Samson's the first one, the situation that Samson's mother was in and the situation that Mary the mother of Jesus was in was very similar their their sons that were going to be born were uh, conceived in ways that were not biologically they didn't make sense biologically um, Samson's mom uh, couldn't couldn't get pregnant and Mary wasn't married and so so they were they were they conceived even though biologically they shouldn't have been able to they also were sons who were called in like before they were born called into service and they were sons who were going to deliver God's people so there are there are lots of things as we've gone through this uh, these 
four chapters about Samson that we've learned that Samson, we see pictures of the Messiah to come. And so Samson is one. The other one is Joseph, one of Jacob's 12 sons. Um, and there are so many things in his life that are, that are similar to the life of Christ. I don't have time to get through them all today. Um, but what, what we have here are two people in the Old Testament that I think are in, in certain ways... Uh, you know, people whose lives point forward to the coming of Christ. But the difference between these two, so that's where they're similar. The difference between these two is their character. Samson, um, where Joseph's character, I think, also imitates Christ, not just his life circumstances, but his character, I think, also imitates Christ. Samson's does not. But we do have in this text, in our text for today, and in this event, we do have uh, another picture of Christ's work on our behalf in Samson's life. In this event, there is a foreshadowing of what Christ accomplished through his death and his resurrection. So when Christ was crucified, he surrendered to death. And until his resurrection on the third day, death made an attempt to close the gate and keep him contained so that death could have victory over him. But just like the gates of Gaza could not contain Samson, neither could the gates of death or the gates of hell contain Jesus. The stone couldn't keep him in the tomb, and death couldn't keep him either. And as Samson tore the doors and their posts out of the ground and removed them to a place that they couldn't, so he took them, he didn't just pull them out and drop them where they could maybe get enough guys to lift them back up and get them back in place. He, lift, he tore them out and he carried them up a hill. And I don't know how far away that was, but you know that going up a hill is going to be a display of his strength. He carried them up a hill and left them out of reach. And so... He tore them out, and he removed them to a place so that they could not be used again to contain him any longer. And just as he did that, so when Christ destroyed the gates of hell and death that tried to contain him, then figuratively what he did was he destroyed it and he removed it completely so that death could not keep him. And... Not just him, but no longer will death have power to contain or hold any of those who follow him either. So I mentioned in the intro that this was the beginning of the end for Samson. But what we learn from the rest of chap the chapter, as we're going to do cover the next couple of Sundays, what we learn is that God is merciful in the midst of all of the stuff that Samson gets himself into. Samson never learns how to resist temptation, and, and even though he suffers great consequences, God is still merciful to him, and he's still merciful to his people, the Israelites. 
Samson fulfills his role as the judge for the nation, and he delivers them in a great act of heroism. He not only is God merciful because God still chooses to use him and God still fills him with his spirit one last time as we'll get to two weeks from now um, where he pushes the temple down but the author of Hebrews when he's making a list of all the people in the Old Testament who were faithful not all of them it's not exhaustive but he's making a list of people walking through the history of Israel of those who were faithful Samson with all of his all of the garbage in his life and all of the times that he just disregarded God in the end Samson God is merciful to him and Samson is responsive to that mercy that's granted him but in our text specifically for today I'll wrap up with this what we see specifically is that God is pointing us forward to the time that Jesus would also make that ultimate sacrifice on our behalf. But instead of delivering us from physical bondage, his sacrifice brings freedom from sin and death. And there are no doors, there are no gates, there are no, there's no power of the evil one that can contain us any longer. Let's pray. Father, as we continue to study Samson, we continue to see in him, um, at least I do, things in my own life that, that look like him. How many times do I, do I just disregard what I read in your word or what I know the Spirit is prompting me to do. Um, and yet I'm thankful because your mercy has not brought a hard life upon me as Samson experienced because of his disregard for you and your commands. And so I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for Christ that um, I, I no longer have to I no longer have to worry because I know that my eternal uh, life is secured in him. But help me, please, to, to be someone who hates sin, who has no desire for those things that stand in opposition to you or things that are an abomination to you, let my love for you be so strong that it's a greater desire in my heart and mind to serve you faithfully. For all of us, God, let us be people who don't ignore those things that are subtle sins in our life, but, but bring our, open our hearts and our minds to understand those, to see that they're there and to deal with them by surrendering them to you so that if the author of Hebrews were writing about us today, that we would be ones that he would consider to be the faithful.
In Jesus' name.